tonight we're in the book of Ruth. I'll be honest, before this week I knew very little about this book. I had never studied it in seminary in my Hebrew classes. I had never uh, looked much into the themes. I knew about the concept of a kinsman redeemer. And my studies this week have just brought a depth of rich theology in God's grace, as, as y'all said, and as you picked the themes for the songs this evening, grace or, or generosity and loyalty and providence. So you'll see a lot of those themes come back up as we go through Ruth. Uh, we'll start the way we normally do. Tell me what you know about this short four-chapter Old Testament book. She was a Moabitess. That's right. right. Moabitess. You see a map on the back. She was not (laughs) Jewish by blood, but she married into a Jewish family. And her husband died. Her father-in-law died. And her brother-in-law died, leaving three women widows. And it's an amazing story of her devotion to her mother-in-law, who was not really positive about things at that point. But also her devotion to the God that she discovered through, mm-hmm. through them. Absolutely. Yeah. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, who said, call me Mara, which means God has dealt bitterly with me. Mm-hmm. And Naomi eventually becomes, what, the great-great-grandfather of David? Is that mm-hmm. great-great-grandmother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. That perspective is helpful when we feel like we too have been dealt bitterly with. To remind ourselves God's redemption is, again, working deeper than we realize. Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I will go, and when you stay, I will stay. Because it will be my people, and your God, my God. Yeah. To me, that was always the verse that just stood out. That's what I remembered about the book of Ruth. Uh, and then after studying it this time, I realized that's it's far richer than in, even I thought it was before. It's a beautiful statement. The wrong song is what you're saying. <laughs> One of the things I loved about studying Ruth was learning more about Jewish culture and how the cultural laws really took care of the poor. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. If we did that today, if we left the margins for the poor, we'd live in a different world. And, but people aren't that generous, and people aren't willing to work that hard, and, which is kind of sad. Mm-hmm. But I love the concept of how they took care mm-hmm. of the poor and widows mm-hmm. and made sure that they had enough to eat mm-hmm. without, without it being a handout or... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was even mandated as law not to glean it, to the edges. It just of the shows truth. the wisdom of God. That's right. Like there is a way that you can take care of the poor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that principle is. If we could find a way to implement that today, I mean, I'm not saying that we can't. I'm just saying, like, if we were be if we would be consistent, that principle is deeply um, that would be earth shattering. Which. I guess I, I don't know, it's a little more cynical look on the uh, book, but it seems like Obed is an exception among uh, the people. 
and even within the book, like you look at his. Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Boaz is an exception. Well, Obed probably will turn out to be as well. Yeah. But carry on. Because uh, uh, there was the opportunity with the kinsman, like the closer redeemer, um, and like I know we're all supposed to pull for Boaz to like be the upstanding guy and like get uh, that situation, but like um, just knowing Israel's character, like the laws were there, and we see a beautiful example of. Boaz executing them uh, as intended, um, but I think through later down the line we'll see how short they, Israel as a whole fell in Yeah, Israel's decline has already been documented for us in the book of Judges, and this is taking place in that context. And you're absolutely right. This is a whole context of decline, a downward trajectory of disobedience. Um, I was going to say one more thing in light of what you said, but that, that, was, that was good. It's well said. Okay, let's go ahead and jump in here. Ruth is a short story. That's its genre. And it occurs during the days of the judges. We're going to kind of zoom in. We've seen Israel at the national level with the judges. And now we zoom in to focus on one family amidst that whole national downward trajectory. And, and in this, we see a beacon of hope. I was going to say a glimmer of hope, but really this book provides a beacon, a bright light of hope in the darkness that's going on. Even Elimelech, that is uh, Naomi's husband, even he seems to have done what was right in his own eyes in the start of this book. Um, he, he left the promised land. That's right. He left the promised land. He, he was not willing to face the consequences of the judgment of the famine. He was not willing to repent and wait for God's um, returning blessing to the land. Uh, which did happen uh, 10 years later, uh, but he, was, he went ahead and did what was right in his own eyes. And it's, it's easy to say, oh, bad, bad Elimelech, but how natural does that seem? Now flip over, you see the, the map on the back. They're in Bethlehem. I said, what, like, let's just go across to the other side of the sea. Now, you, you can't see, from, from my memory, I don't remember seeing the Dead Sea from Bethlehem. You have to get much closer to the Dead Sea in order to see it. <clears throat> but the, the point is, this is... Um, you can see the, the scale at the bottom of the key. Maybe a 50-mile, um, probably 60-mile route, 50 miles as the bird flies. It's a multi-marathon. Yeah, that's right. Um, let's, just, let's just pack up and, and move over to Toledo. It's, it's, it's better over there. Um, that, that, kind of, that kind of concept. Um, but the hope of a redeemer pervades despite all the disloyalty to, to God and disobedience. And it's important to note that this story is told uh, largely to tell us about the line of, of King David and to show God's provision of that ancestry. So the relevant lineage here, you have Salmon who, uh, who married Rahab, Rahab the prostitute. Uh, their son was Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. Their son, Obed, whose son was Jesse, whose son was David, who, who of course, down the line was J Joseph, um, and by Mary, the father of Jesus. So in another way, so in a biblical overarching perspective, this is hugely important for the trajectory of the Bible, but it also connects more directly judges to the days of the kings because at the end of this book, you know the lineage of the king David. 
but it's also set in the time of the judges. So there's this this promise uh, that's kind of coming here through the book of, of Ruth, kind of tying the days of the judges to the beginning of the days of the kings, which come in our next book. The authorship and the date are unknown. It was probably pre-exilic, meaning before the exile in 586, possibly during the United Monarchy. Some people say it was shortly after David was uh, crowned, or it may have been during his reign or sometime shortly thereafter, because... Uh, it talks about his lineage at the end, and so it could be used as a, a way to legitimize David's kingship. Uh, Jewish tradition states that Samuel was the one who authored the book of Ruth, so that would place it slightly earlier, maybe around that same time I just described. Uh, Samuel authored Ruth along with Judges and the books of Samuel, in part to support the legitimacy of David's kingship. Uh, and some authors, or some scholars agree, some disagree. We really don't know, but these are just some, some kind of guidelines. Uh, I don't remember. I, I don't remember. I think remember. he made it to see David become king because okay. Saul does the whole necromancy thing. Okay, so maybe it's just the first part of Samuel then that's, yeah. that it would be implied in that. Or Samuel was writing prophetically. <laughs> right, right. The way I want to go through this is really kind of a narrative approach. I I just, I was trying to figure out, do we just look at outline and then look at themes? And as I started filling in the themes, it just kind of made sense to go ahead and file them into the outline. So that's how we'll go through the story. I uh, encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles because we'll be looking at the book of Ruth at specific verses throughout. I'll also remind you that as you're flipping to it in your Bible, it's placed after the book of Judges. That is not the case in uh, the Jewish order of the Bible. It comes, uh, I, I left the rest of my handouts in the car, uh, but it's, it's actually placed with, I, I'd have to refresh my memory. It's after Song of Songs. Uh, songs. Song of Songs? Yeah. So it's, okay. All right. Uh, I could, actually, I can pull it up right here. And it, it then is placed in the, the larger category known as the writings. So we have law, prophet, writings. Uh, it's Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ruth, Song of Songs, according to... So it's right there near Song of Songs. Uh, so that would be... That's part of the covenant life. This is what it means to live. And, and in that category, the way uh, Miles Van Pelt kind of lays it out, in that category makes a lot of sense. This is what it means to live a life in the covenant. Uh, this is God providing for his covenant people in very pointed ways here in this book. So let's look first at the two main characters. The characters Boaz and Ruth. Boaz is a noble man, the son of Rahab. He understands being welcomed into the covenant community as an outsider. You know how much influence uh, your mother has on your understanding of the world. Imagine what Rahab uh, taught Boaz. Uh, that probably speaks volumes of, uh, as to why he is one who is faithful when so many are not, um, because his mother has seen the faithfulness of God in such clear ways. He also commends Ruth for her loyalty to her true family, the way his mother had been faithful to her true family. Um, and he, he does so on two occasions, chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, let's go ahead and look at chapter 2, verse 11, and then we'll look at chapter 3 when we get there. 
But she comes and she finds Boaz in the field. And um, Boaz answered her, chapter 2, verse 11, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So he's, he's affirming, saying, you have done what is good. He sees her, her, her integrity also. Uh, Ruth is known for her loyalty to Naomi, but that really indicates her deeper loyalty to the covenant God, Yahweh. She had heard about God's covenant faithfulness probably through her husband uh, who came from Israel uh, to Moab and married Ruth. Ruth being from Moab, uh, she heard about God's covenant faithfulness. She may have heard about it from Naomi as well. And so by faith, she surrenders her familial and earthly security in Moab in exchange for the promises of the covenant in a foreign land. Be like giving up your home hometown and moving to somebody else's to somebody else's land, saying, "I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of me there, even though I have better job opportunities and better family connections and and no more people back there." Y'all know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Here's how the story goes. It starts with a prologue. The first five verses of the book of Ruth are loaded with this disobedience in the royal line. And this is, again, focusing on the royal line of David. Uh, the famine should be under, understood as a curse because of the disobedience that we just read about in the book of Judges. Even Bethlehem, known it's called as called such, it's, the title means house of bread. It's a place that was abundant. It was, it was a fertile uh, town and with surrounding um, fields. It, it produced great crops, but even Bethlehem faces the famine of judgment for her sin. Uh, but still from Bethlehem will once again come the bread of life. So that that becomes, I'm already getting us ahead to the, you know, approaching the New Testament. That's, we're already starting to see this, this hope because we know that Christ came from Bethlehem. Elimelech sought to fix his situation rather than to repent and trust the God of his people. Thus he went to Moab where his family intermarried. I don't think I need to comment on that intermarriage piece. We've looked at that and the danger of it. It's not a, uh, some people will look at that today and say, oh, well, that's so um, racist. You know, you can't marry people from other um, clans. This was theological in, in, in depth. Like the, the depth of it was theological. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, Moab was a nation that enslaved Israel for 18 years. Um, also, their king had hired Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. That was a fascinating story. And they were also the descendants of Lot's incest with his daughter. Moab was not friendly to Israel. And so choosing to live among the enemies and to take the enemies' gods um, by taking the enemies' wives uh, was not, that was not commendable to, for Elimelech. As Jewish tradition has done, uh, the deaths of Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon must be viewed as God's judgment on their blatant disobedience. Uh, Jewish tradition oftentimes mentions how they had received the uh, penalty for their sins and their deaths. That's all in the first five verses. And then Act 1 begins. Here, here we see the punishment and the predicament. That little uh, FRL means for the royal line. Just trying to save some, some space there. The punishment and predicament for the royal line. Orpah is uh, Ruth's sister-in-law. 
They married brothers. Orpah serves as a foil to Ruth's deep-seated loyalty and faith in the God of Israel. Orpah chooses the earthly smart thing. It would have made sense to stay in that land as a widow, to receive support from relatively close relatives, uh, from whatever, you know, this, this is again her, her ground, her, her people. So it's going to make more sense for her to try to get her feet back under her in that place. Yet Ruth decides to, um, to leave and to go with Naomi. Um, I'm sorry, I, I put there, Naomi says the famous words, Ruth says the famous words of chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, so glance there in your Bibles. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. This is what Amy said at the beginning. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Mark that, flip over to Genesis 17, 7. Ruth is not just afraid to leave Naomi. It's not like she's just attached to her. She is, you see the language here, is intentionally highlighting her claims to the covenant promises that God promised to the nation of Israel. She was claiming them for herself. Genesis 17, 7, God says to Abraham, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. To be God to you. Um, and uh, the end of the next verse, uh, it says, and I will be their God. I think I was thinking of a different verse that says, I will be, um, I will be your God and you shall be my people. I apologize, I put the wrong one in there. Um, but that is what Ruth is claiming. She says, I'm going to go with you, Naomi, because that God has promised, that, that your God, our God has promised that he will be our God and we will be his people. And so she was claiming this covenantal blessing. Uh, Nancy Guthrie puts it this way. These were the promises she had married into, and she did not want the death of her husband to be the death of her hope. This is a profession of personal conversion. Not necessarily in this moment was Ruth converted, but she was professing what she, that she has personally been converted to trusting the God of Israel. And she is planning uh, to stick with Naomi, who then will bring Ruth back to that covenant community in Israel. Look at um, chapter 1, verse 22. Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. What do you picture that like? Two widows, one a foreigner, one who's not been there in 10 years. They come back to Bethlehem, beginning of barley harvest. What do they have? Clothes on their backs. Nothing, essentially. Um, Nancy Guthrie kind of speculates. She says, all right, there's probably still Elimelech's fields, probably still there. It's not bearing anything. It's been 10 years since it was cultivated. Um, there may still be a hut, she says, that they can sleep in that first night. They get there like, all right, we're going to sleep on the, the ground, the dirty ground of this hut. Uh, but besides that, there's really nothing 
for them. They are about as destitute as, as you can imagine. Uh, financially, socially, agriculturally, in a very hard position. If I had been Ruth, I would have at this point been questioning, wait, what are we coming back for? What are we doing here? Was the barley harvest the first harvest? Was it earlier than that? I don't remember. I'm sorry. Then we move to Act 2. The predicament is laid out. The punishment for sin has been uh, laid out. And now we move into the hope of a kinsman redeemer for the royal line. This was uh, part of God's provision. God provided in gleaning, which, uh, which we got to, this, which, which we mentioned early on. Uh, God provided for the poor in, in requiring gleaning. He also provided for the poor by, um, by allowing this kinsman redeemer. So Leviticus 19 talks about how um, you shouldn't, as, as John said early on, you shouldn't cut all the way to the edge of the field. Leave the last, I, I, I don't know exactly how many feet they were supposed to leave, but leave enough so that the poor can come through and they can harvest what they need to survive. Um, and the thought is the Lord is providing you these hundreds of acres, perhaps, that you're, you're able to, to harvest in abundance. Leave the edges for the poor. And so um, Naomi and Ruth uh, depend on this, this, this provision of gleaning. And it says, the narrator tells us that Ruth just happened upon Boaz's fields. It's a, it's a narrative uh, way to get us listening. Of course, this is the providential hand of God at work. Uh, and, and Naomi may even remember um, you know, which, which fields are part of their families uh, and which fields are not. But either way, God is providentially guiding Ruth uh, to happen upon Boaz's fields. And Boaz offers not just permission to glean, but he also gives her a blessing. Look in chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done. Now, this is a good thing. Boaz is saying, you have been so loyal to your family. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He understands that Ruth understands who God is. And he says, God bless you. So he's really pronouncing a blessing on her. Uh, permission to glean, and he gives her a portion of the harvest. He actually sends her away with grain that didn't just come from the edges that actually had been harvested by his workers, and he filled her bags with it. She goes back and she tells Naomi what happened, and Naomi recognizes Boaz as a kinsman redeemer. So just a few verses later in chapter 2, verse 20, um, she identifies Boaz as a kinsman redeemer based on uh, the commands in Deuteronomy 25, where a, a brother or a close relative is to um, redeem the bloodline of a brother who has died without an heir. This is an entirely selfless act because you are giving your yourself and your time and your resources to raise somebody else's child in their name. 
it has nothing to do with your glory, has nothing to do with building your clan. It is all for the sake of your brother. And the same for the land. Uh, the, the Leviticus 25 land um, redeemer is a little bit less relevant here um, because it we're not told whether or not Naomi and Ruth actually were able to uh, repossess the land that was Elimelech's. But we do know for sure that the command for a kinsman redeemer, bloodline redeemer, uh, is is in play here. Uh, some think that it is a requirement for the kinsman redeemer to do this. Uh, it is like a it is a by requirement meaning a cultural law punishable by the government of uh, I guess the the judges. <laughs> um, but in and, and others say it's, it's, it's not actually, it's not required. Um, did I just say the same thing twice? Some say that it is required. Some say that it is not. What is not uh, to, to, be, to step up and be the kinsman redeemer. And obviously it's not because the first, uh, the closest kinsman redeemer did not do it. And there doesn't seem to be any penalty for him. So it's done out of a willingness to give, a generosity. Uh, because uh, that's, that's the unexpected complication uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Let's move to, to Act 3, the unexpected complication for the royal line. Naomi comes up with this plan for Ruth, and so she tells Ruth, go to Boaz after he has eaten and drunk after a long day of work, uncover his feet, uh, and lie down. And, and Ruth does that. Um, I am of the persuasion that uncovering his feet is not sexual innuendo. I think it is. it is literally going to him, uncovering his feet. Um, a couple of the folks that I've read um, came to that. I, I came into this assuming it was some kind of sexual in, innuendo because um, I've heard that from various sources, but the folks that I've read say it's, it's not. Um, there are other places in this passage that have um, sexual connotations, including the very next one, uh, that, and that very next point on the handout here. <laughs> and it's this. She, Ruth asks Boaz to make good. You yourself, Boaz, make good on that blessing that you gave me in chapter 2, verse 12. Cover me with your wings. That phrase, wings, means hem of the garment. This phrase has intimate, not promiscuous, but intimate sexual connotations, including it's used to describe covenantal blessing in Ezekiel 16.8. So let's flip over there to Ezekiel 16.8. This will show you a little bit about um, what is going on with this phrase, uh, under the shelter of your wings or to be covered by the wings. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. Verse 8. This is the Lord God speaking in verse 8. He says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. <clears throat> you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. This, you see, has it's, it's the um, analogy of um, nakedness. Uh, this spreading the corner of your garment over uh, one who is naked is to cover sexual shame, uh, and is to, and, and God is using this language to show the way that He makes covenant uh, with His people. And so, when Boaz says, "The Lord," uh, he, he says to you, "You know, may the Lord bless you," 
uh, repay you for what you've done because you have come to take um, shelter under the wings of the God of Israel. Ruth is coming back saying, yes, I'm taking shelter under the God of Israel and I'm taking shelter under your garment, the hem of your garment, your wings, uh, and asking him to make good on this promise. And Boaz again here in chapter 3 commends her faith and says, uh, this is, um, let's see, we'll just start in verse 9. He said, who are you? This is after Ruth has laid down at his feet. He wakes up in the middle of the night. Um, let's just read verse 8. It's, it's, it's wonderful. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Maybe his feet were cold. And turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. And why? Why does he commend her here? It's, he says, you have made... This last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. He sees that Ruth is loyal to see the bloodline of uh, Limelech and of her uh, late husband, Malon, to see that bloodline continued as a part of God's covenant blessing to his people. But Redeemer, uh, Boaz, of course, says, but there's a Redeemer closer than I am. And so there's the unexpected complication. Boaz may not be the guy. And uh, you want, you're pulling for Boaz, as you said early on. You're pulling for Boaz because he's noble and he's so kind and he, and he commends Ruth for her faith. Uh, before we get to the actual redemption um, of the royal line in, in Act 4, Chapter 4, uh, what are thoughts or questions right now? I've kind of been just rambling, not rambling. I've been blabbing for a while. Was Ruth's approach to be uh, redeemed with her verb she's using, she going there with an immediate? I don't know. Okay. It's a good question. And contrary, uh, I would say maybe like what God says in the rest of the Bible about. Yes. I was going to say her character so far seems to indicate that she's not promiscuous. Okay. Uh, she's not coming. Um, she, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So I, I don't know. I don't understand, of course, the, um, the way that those uh, provisions worked, the Redeemer provisions worked, uh, but Boaz did. It almost seems like Boaz was expecting it. He's already done his, done his research into the family. Um, but this was a sure way to get his attention. He, if he was, you know, a rich, busy man, and, you know, he may not have downtime, and so she found some downtime after he had eaten drunk in the middle of the night. A little bit funny. Uh, she's making the proposal, mm -hmm. and we tend to think of that as like, um, and I'm sitting there going like, yeah, <laughs> that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, multiple commentators pointed that out. It's the fact that yeah, Ruth is the one making the proposal. She is the one claiming that promise, 
and, and making Boaz make good on that promise. But like we don't look at Boaz like he was shirking responsibility. Right, like right, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when we look at most people today and uh, you've got an impatient girlfriend, uh, you're usually then reversing and looking at the boyfriend going like, dude, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you waiting for? Right, um, right. Yeah, you're right. Of course, it's not a one-to-one. I mean, this is not a normal, you know, right. American dating <laughs> relationship. Um, in fact, it's not an American dating relationship at all. Um, but yeah. Act four, the redemption of the royal line. The closer redeemer declines the option to redeem because it's not self-beneficial. Essentially, he hears, hey, I can get some land out of this. And then he finds out, oh, wait, that means I'm going to get a widow, a a wife. And then that means her son, my son that, you know, I have with her is not going to bear my name and he's going to get the land right back. What is in it for me? Absolutely nothing. He had no generosity toward this this family. Uh, Maybe he had fallen upon hard times. Maybe he didn't have the resources. Maybe um, he was focused on uh, other things in life. Maybe maybe it was true selfishness. Uh, We don't know, but he's not willing. And so Boaz then becomes that redeemer. Uh, And he is a blood relative. He is a close relative. Uh, But Boaz goes ahead there in the city gate and he makes that oath to be the redeemer of Elimelech's land and bloodline through Ruth, the wife of Malon, son of Elimelech. Uh, Let's go ahead and look at chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Those few verses are loaded with God's blessing and his provision and the line of the Redeemer being preserved. A restoration of Naomi, who had called herself bitterness earlier in the book, now is described in verse uh, 14. Um, by the, the women say, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And in verse 15, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher because God has provided. And so Naomi seems then to have, um, by her own daughter-in-law, grown in seeing God's abundant blessing for her. And now she sees that her life has been restored. And not only that, but um, uh, of course we assume she didn't know it in that day, but her, her grandson great-grandson would be King David. How many sons did Jesse have? Do you remember? Seven? That sounds right. Yeah. I thought David was the youngest of seven. He might be the eighth. That's, that's what seven. I'm thinking. It's either, it's either seven or eight, yeah. yeah. And Job had seven. Three, God's four boys. Well, was it three or four? Yeah. 
I know he had three daughters the second time around. <laughs> <laughs> And then at the very end of the book here, the last few verses, you see that genealogy. And it's, it's the author's way of saying, look, the whole point here is to show that God is preserving his line and he does it in real time with real people like Ruth, who trust me. And it's just a great encouraging story of God's uh, provision. And I think an incredible example of the faith of, of Ruth. Because she looks at the world, and says, no, thank you, I'll take God's promises instead. When it, I, those temptations face us every day, and we choose the world so often, and Ruth, in the biggest of ways, uh, decided to risk comfort and security in her own familial relationships to go and take hold of the blessings that God had for his people in Israel. That same Abrahamic blessing, um, that, was, that belongs to Ruth. So where do you see Christ in this? Uh, First of all, he is that blood relative who redeems. He became like us. He became human. See that in Hebrews 2. He is one of means, meaning he he is rich and he gives generously. We're not told that Boaz in particular is especially rich, but there is that implication that he is a man of means who is able to give and he gives to bless those he gives. He doesn't give to get anything back. He gives to bless. And it says in 2 Corinthians 8 that he was rich and became, Jesus was rich and became poor, the way Boaz gave to Ruth. Um, Boaz from Bethlehem, Christ is from Bethlehem. Um, Boaz commended a foreigner's faith on two occasions. Jesus did the same for the Syrophoenician woman, uh, the Canaanite woman who, who begged at the table for the crumbs. Uh, and there are lots more. I'm going to go ahead and just hit a couple uh, here. Boaz invited a foreigner to eat with him at his table. And uh, Jesus tells a parable in Luke 14 where the master of the house invited all who would come to the wedding. Boaz fed Ruth until she was satisfied. Jesus fed the 5,000 until they were satisfied. Boaz was determined to redeem and would not rest until it was accomplished. And so Jesus, his will was to accomplish his task and he did it until he said it is finished. Boaz paid the price of redemption outside the city gate as he was, you know, gave a sandal, that weird exchange that we actually didn't talk about. Um, but Jesus also suffered outside the gate to pay the price of redemption. Um, Boaz paid the cost to accomplish redemption. And we also were bought with the blood of Jesus who accomplished our redemption. Uh, Boaz's redemption made it possible for Ruth, a foreigner, to be included in God's people by grace through faith. Also, we who were Gentiles and who were cursed were welcomed by Jesus, who became a curse for us and made us also heirs of the covenant promises. And on the back, there's a little excerpt here. I thought I could retype this whole thing or I can just take a picture of it and put it in there. Waltke... Uh, Bruce Waltke, he's, he wrote an Old Testament textbook. He goes even further when, he, when identifying Christ in the book of Ruth and notes that a canonical interpretation, meaning if you're reading the whole Bible as, as, as the canon, it invites the interpreter to read the Old Testament typologically. So we're looking for types of Christ. Uh, the intertextuality of Ruth with the New Testament suggests that Boaz foreshadows Christ, while Naomi and Ruth foreshadow the union of ethnic Israel and of Gentiles in the church. 
Naomi of Judah and Ruth of Moab typify the union of ethnic Israel and Gentiles respectively in the church, and Boaz typifies Christ. Boaz is a type of Christ because he sacrificed himself financially to give Naomi and Ruth land and an an inheritance in perpetuity. Jesus Christ, the greater antitype, sacrifices his blood to give his church a regenerated earth and eternal life. And then he concludes, Boaz gave the dead immortality. Boaz in quotes there meaning the Boaz figure, also Christ, gave the dead immortality by his sacrifice. He bought back those who verged into death and debt and secured a Ruth, his Gentile bride. Boaz brought his bride into final rest. As Boaz brought Naomi and her family rest, so David brought Israel rest and Christ gives the church rest. Redemptive themes just seep out of this book. And you see it come back time and again throughout uh, the Bible in in the office of uh, the king, uh, in the person of David, and ultimately in the person of Christ. Thoughts on this before we wrap up? Comments? Yes? Uh, the character of Obed... No, Jesus. Obed. <laughs> we know so much about Obed. Um, he makes a couple statements that, and there's a couple things that confused me about the kinsman redeemer system. He talks about, it sounds like he's at least a bit older than her. Because uh, he says like he didn't run out right. of the yeah. um, And then uh, Right. And that kind of gets at the question of uh, would Boaz have a separate family before Ruth, or do we assume that he was unmarried until Ruth came out? Um, we don't know. We just don't know. Um, I, my personal assumption is that he has a family, but that's not from the text. That's just from generally what I know of cultures, head of heads of households, you know, right. successful um, families, men in those days. It's very possible that he was still unmarried, uh, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I've, I saw it, you know, it was a discussion, but there's no certainty. Right. And then, uh, this is a very small thing, but is there a reason why they start the genealogy with uh, Perez instead of Judah? Like, I know that's an, I know Judah's implied, but like... I should have looked into that. I don't know. It probably is. He was probably known to whoever you know the author was writing to. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's one of the things in chapter 4, is they were talking about the ladies of the town were talking about uh, may she become like, I don't know if it was May she become like Rachel and Leah to you. May your house be like the house of Perez. Hmm. In verse 4.12. Yeah, I probably should do a little research on what the house of Perez means. I will make a note of that. Because that would give us even further insight into what that blessing means. The other thing it tells us about, so Jesse had eight sons. David was the eighth. And so uh, this son being better than seven sons, better than the first son, first seven that Jesse had, question mark. (laughs) Because the eighth one became king. He's God's anointed. All right. Let's pray, and then we'll sing one more.
Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of apostasy and disobedience by the nation, you continue to preserve your line for your people. We thank you that you are working redemption. You have worked redemption and you are still working in the lives of your believers today. We thank you for welcoming us, for giving us faith as you gave Ruth faith. Thank you for welcoming us into these blessings. We pray that we would look to Christ alone, the one who has given so generously without asking anything in return. The one who has given so generously to redeem us, to welcome us into uh, communion again with you, our God. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we pray that uh, as we go from here, we would be encouraged by your work to save your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.